new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Jared Mack, Eric Scopel on the podcast. Oh. I'm Ooh. Uh, welcome to your Friday edition of the show. Uh, our first podcast that we have recorded since the start of spring football practice. We were able to go into Thursday morning, very cold, very crisp Thursday spring practice. We watched about 25 30 minutes of, of practice. A lot of that included stretching, warming up. Um, didn't see really any 11 on 11 that we could mention on the podcast. Uh, we did see some team stuff, but we weren't technically supposed to be in there. So um, we won't divulge into that. But there's nonetheless, we learned a lot of information. Um, it was an opportunity to get our eyes on some new coaches. Um it was our an opportunity for us to get our eyes on some newcomers, whether that's a transfer or whether that's uh, a high school or junior college edition. And then we also were able to, we said this on the show, like on Wednesday, that there's mm-hmm. always going to be some guys that we show up and they're just not there. And that happened on Thursday um, with a couple guys. Uh, they are no longer with the program. Uh, for various reasons. Eric, do you want to run through yeah. the two guys that are no longer with the team? Yeah, and, and probably neither is a huge surprise, to be honest, but uh, yeah. Mikhail Afayesi, uh, probably, by the way, the best pronunciation I've ever had. It's maybe the last time we'll mention him on a podcast. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he is medically retired, no longer on the roster. Dan confirmed uh, following practice. We should note we did speak with Dan for about, I think it was like 11 minutes um, after practice, so we got Love some thoughts there, and there's a lot of content up on the site, including a full transcript and video. If you haven't seen that, um, go check it out. But yeah, no, he medically retired. I don't think that was unexpected. He didn't play at all last season. This is his. This would have been his fourth year in the program, and he'd played, I think it was 21 or 22 total reps in, in three years. So um, a guy who, who never really got an opportunity, and now you know his career, at least at Oregon, is over. I had some people ask questions about uh, you know, is he done with football? Well, I don't know exactly what the injury is, but he could, in theory, um, you know, transfer somewhere else and play there. You know, medically retiring right. at one school just basically eliminates your uh, – uh, takes you off the scholarship count. Oregon now is at 91. I think that's notable. Um, but it doesn't preclude him from taking off and, and transferring to another school. Thomas Tyner, notably, I think medically retired in, in 2015 and then played at Oregon State in, I want to say, 16 or 17. Um, yeah, they've got to get they've got to get medical clearance from the next school that that he would play. Right. Yeah, if, if he even wants to go that route, and it's very very possible that whatever he's dealing with is, is significant enough that it's just a time for him to focus on other things. So he's he's not here. Um, I don't know if that's a big hit, to be honest. I don't think he really expected him to play much of a role. But you feel for a kid who has to to hang up the cleats, uh, maybe against his own you know wishes. Uh, and then Alex Bales, who was one of the players who punted last season. Um, infamously against kind Oregon State. Well, I was going to say infamous. Yeah. I, I paused because people remember him from Oregon State, which was probably the, the total low point of special teams in 
since maybe the Utah game in 15 when Utah returned a punt for a touchdown, and there are a couple of other weird things that happened. Like it was just a really bad special teams game that really cost right. Oregon. Um, Bales has, is not with the team, and I don't know if that's a huge surprise because I think it was pretty clear he wasn't going to win a starting job anywhere. He was not on scholarship to begin with, so we'll see where his career takes him. I don't know if it's been confirmed one way or another um, if he is trying to play football. I know uh, our good friend James Crepe of the Oregonian said he had spoken to Alex at some point yesterday, and it just mm -hmm. confirmed he wasn't playing in Oregon. I don't know if he has more information, but um, yeah, those are the two players not on the roster. And again, I, I don't think huge pieces of news, but important to start the show kind of addressing people who aren't with the program anymore. Now, the additions, um, there's a lot. We counted 25, 26. 26 was Nate Kruger, the Oregon SID's official count, and I, uh, I have confirmed that as best as my counting skills, which are, again, very uh, elementary, uh, that 26 <laughs> looks to be correct. Yeah, uh, that means every transfer that Oregon signed except for Tashim Johnson, um, they are on campus, they are enrolled, they are part of the program, um, they are taking part in spring football, uh, and then over over half of the high school prospects that Oregon or the junior college prospects we should know uh, that Oregon signed are also on campus. So you've got about two thirds of your recruiting class already in town already taking part uh, in spring football. Now we should note um, there are a couple guys who are limited or, or who are just straight up hurt. Um, and are not full participants. Um, Junior Engelau, the four-star transfer from Texas interior offensive lineman, uh, did not take part in practice. He's rehabbing. Um, Janoris Wilson, a high school offensive lineman, um, he is doing some kind of rehab and is, is not a full participant as well. Um, so you are seeing a couple of newcomers not go through drills yet, which yeah. it's – March 17th, this is nothing really to freak out about, but it's still noteworthy. Um, I will say there was one guy that, you know, we, we, we all were watching the team run through uh, the walkway into practice. There was one guy that I was just like very just impressed with just his physical attributes, and that's uh, Tidum Tuioti. Um, both Eric, you and I both, we saw him run by us and we were like, whoa, that guy's bigger than your typical freshman. He's bigger than what we were thinking he would be. I think the reason I reacted to that, and maybe you did, is we'd seen him in person at Sheldon not that long ago. And he, yeah. he certainly added some some bulk. So I, I don't know how much he uh, plays a role early, but gosh, like you, you sure. see a kid show up and be physically put together enough where you could envision a world where they could contribute. I don't probably expect that happens, but right. no, I'm in agreement. Local kid. I mean, kind of local, but at least finished his high school career at Sheldon, um, son of the defensive line coach, going to be playing edge. Uh, he confirmed to me when he committed that it was Tosh Lupoy who was his position coach, not his dad, which is probably good and bad, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's certainly a notable name. And, and um, you know, I, I, I think in general a lot of the freshmen looked good. I think the, the one that you looked at walking through and said, that looks like a freshman, was probably Austin Novazad, the quarterback, who mm – -hmm. Yeah, kind of was the expectation going in. Pretty slim guy, um, but no, I, I I think in general, um, I guess there's one more injury uh, to note, and we should also acknowledge it's it's first day, so it's hard to 
to get a total feel for attendance, which we tried our best to take. But I would say, Jared, you probably agree, probably kind of a mixed bag if we probably not as good in the past. But um, Ayapani Lalalu uh, butchered that one. Feope's younger Poncho. brother. I call him Poncho. Uh, makes it easier on me. Uh, he, he was also a partial from what I saw and it looked like he was rehabbing something. So some, some of the new offensive linemen are going through things. But I don't know, Jared. Uh, another positive here, and I'll toss it to you for this, is Justin Jacobs, who we were very much uncertain if what his role would be or kind of where he was health-wise, just kind of walked into practice like the rest of them. And from what we could see, it looked like he was, was close to a full participant, um, at, at least from what we saw. Yeah, no, it was very nice to see him. Um, again, we only saw 18 minutes of practice, which was 12 minutes of stretching and then two periods of three minutes that were one with special teams that, uh, as we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast before, isn't the most exciting. And the other was a stumble bun drill where guys are going at 50% effort because it's you know the first day of spring camp. So We, we should note they're not in pads, too. Like, that's obvious. Not probably in pads. For, for some people. Not in spider but, pads, either. Yeah. Just, like, straight straight nothing. Like, Luke Basso looked like a child out there without his pads on. It was very funny. He's a, he's a smaller guy than what you'd expect when he has his pads. But, yeah, Justin Jacobs, it was good to see him out there. Um, I'm not sure – where he is physically because again we didn't see anything where anybody really was showing off their physicality or their speed or anything like that but just to see him out there on the field i thought was a positive development um you know guys like jordan birch um all the offensive linemen except for the aforementioned junior agalau um, somebody like george silva who came in i know he's a freshman and i was more talking about transfers but or he's a junior college guy um he was physically impressive as well. I thought he was one of the bigger guys on the team, or at least on the offensive line. Um, Tez Johnson was there, uh, probably bigger than what I had anticipated. Um, was he? I thought he was like a child. <laughs> I just thought he was like the <laughs> smallest guy. I mean, 5'10", 150 pounds. I mean, it's hard right. to be much smaller than that. But you know, I thought he looked comparable to what Chris Hudson looks like out there, which, again, is a smaller dude on the field. But um, – uh, with the way that some people have been talking about it, it makes him sound like he's literally a child, like Eric was mentioning. But um, no, I well, thought he I, looked fine. I, I just want to clarify: he 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 is very slight of build, though. Like he he is not. Yeah, of course. But yeah, yeah. Well, but five ten, one hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, but fa- we're the ones who were. I'm just trying to trying to give the fans who haven't been able to see these people in person an opportunity to kind of like what our initial like. You you think he was bigger? I I he was the first one of the first people I saw walk in, and I was like, wow, that it does not look like a very well put together human being and that was before we got the rosters um then i was like oh that makes a ton of sense that's that's Ted johnson right i guess yeah maybe it was it was helpful that i knew who 15 was before seeing him i'm like oh there's tez that's what i expect him to look like maybe a little bit bigger but i digress anyways um you know there was special teams i thought was probably the highlight of the practice um, other than i guess watching guys walk into the practice and seeing how they've how they look physically or how they performed over the off season. Um, and by highlight of the practice, I mean, Luke Dunn, our punter. I was just going to say. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. You wanted to know what a Luke Dunn kick looks like. You watched a lot of them. I saw two and I was quite impressed. Yeah, I saw probably six of them, five or six of them. Um, he and Ross James were the two punters back there. Luke Basso was one of the long snappers along with, Nick Dzanski, a, mm. a freshman long snapper who was a five-star, quote-unquote, for those not watching. Five-star long snapper. We're you know, not sure what, what those rankings are, but they're not 24-7's rankings. But 
Anyways, Ross James and Luke Dunn, who we asked Nate, the SID, how to pronounce his name. He said Dunn. We're saying Dunn now. So it's all done. Anyways, they were all good right. punts. They were good punts. Um, I thought Luke Luke's best punts were significantly better than James's best punts. Um, and again, first day of spring practice, can't make too much of of it. Both of them royally messed up at points. Um, just had some 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 just some bad kicks out there. And it kind of happens. But I will say, when when Luke ran into one, it was a better product than James's was. It was higher. It was longer. Um, had a, like somehow had a really tight spiral and kind of like knuckled ball through the air. It was very impressive. It was like some of the best punts I've seen on the football field, or at least that back practice field since Blake Memoin, like in 2019. So uh, the blast from the past. But that's what Oregon needs. They haven't had a really. I mean, Tom Snee was a fine punter. Don't get me wrong, but um, he wasn't above average. But he was he was what they needed. And you know, we go back to last year how Eric began this with Bales. Uh, in the aforementioned Oregon State game, mm-hmm. Oregon needs a guy who they can rely on out there, even if he's just slightly above average. That's significantly better than what they had last season. Jared, did you get the average hang time and distance? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. We joked about <laughs> that's, it. That's all. That's that's, we, we can we can get Dan on that. Uh, we can get Dan on that because they I'll had ask Dan like, about Luke. three guys. That's fine by me, they are I mean, They had it. three guys uh, no. all with stopwatches. Clocking every single one. I mean, three of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Every every punt. So they've got that data. I'm sure if if we ask, we could. <laughs> We're not going to get that data. From, <laughs> that'll be maybe if we ask nicely. That, that brings me Please. back to the Mario, the Mario Cristobal approach, where we'd ask him a thing and said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll get I'll, that to you." Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to get that to you. And then we never got anything he ever promised us. So yeah, that might be maybe Dan will steal a, a quote from Mario and be like, "Yeah, no, I'll get you that. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I'll get you that punt data." And then we'll ask eight months later. And no, I, I, of course not. <laughs> I forgot about it when I, when I left the press conference. Uh, overall, though, it, it was. Um, I mean, look, we like like Jared said, we were in there for about twenty minutes. We couldn't necessarily tell too much if, like, the logistics of practice was going as crisp as they wanted to. Um, we did, we didn't hear a lot of like, you know, hey, pick it up, pick it up, you know, type of stuff from Dan on the mic. Um, there was definitely a lot of reminders from multiple coaches of proper technique or you know, explaining why they're doing this now um, type thing. But that's that's a pretty normal occurrence. Um, Dan did speak, though, about how af- after practice, he did speak about practices a little bit different this season, he says. Um, but I kind of remember him saying a lot of the stuff last year, but they're able to run, you know, double, you know, double the people per drill because they've got coaches – They've got more coaches. They've got more practice room. They've, they've tweaked a couple things where instead of, if they're running a, like 11 on air, you know, they're able to, to do 22 you know guys on offense running the same drill at the same time. Or if they're doing 11 on 11, they're able to do two units of that um, during spring football. I don't know if that's in part because last spring it was so new or if they've got new coaches mm-hmm. uh, or if they've tweaked some things or if it's all of it. But I do remember him talking about that a lot during fall camp and during the season. But nonetheless, like he was very, very high on the coaching additions that they made, very high on the analyst additions that they've made and the impacts that it will have um, from getting just more reps during spring football. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I, uh, I I felt like what I saw on, and there's two practice fields, and uh, the one I was watching during the special teams drill, and I'm curious, Jared, did, did the special teams, is that pretty much reminiscent of what we saw last fall and spring in terms of the way it was constructed? It was, yeah, it was exactly the same. Because what was what was going on on my field, and it's notable because we had two new position coaches. Will Stein was working with quarterbacks. Malik Terry working with offensive line. Makes sense. Those guys aren't working on special teams because almost yeah. none of those guys are going to play much special teams aside from uh, extra points and field goals, which, which of course, they're not really working on that. They're working on return stuff, uh, typically. Um, but it was notable that those two coaches had a little bit of different, I would say, approaches to what they were doing, at least from a, 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 a drill perspective. Again, we get to watch two, three-minute periods. So I was kind of glued over here. Jared was on special teams. Um, Matt was kind of jumping back and between shooting photos along with Craig, our, our other photographer. And uh, I, I just thought it was notable, a little bit, you know, small shifts. I won't pretend like I could name the drills they were running or everything they were trying to get out of it. But, you know, Clem and, and Terry in particular, I think, have different ways of getting their guys ready to start a day. And, and I'd be curious to hear how uh, how different some of the technical stuff gets, because I remember a year ago uh, talking with Ryan Walk and Alex Forsyth and, and uh, TJ Bass and some of those guys about some of the technical changes that were made under Clem from what Cristobal and Mirabal had done. Well, Elik Terry kind of comes from the Mirabal Cristobal coaching tree. He spent two years working with them uh, prior to taking off for a couple of years at Hawaii and then with the Vikings. I, I wonder if some of the technique will, and again, this is something I don't have an answer to. I don't think it means a ton based upon the first two drills they're doing because none of that's really technical. They're literally working on, on getting out of their stances and sliding and pass protection for one, and, and the other one was, uh, was working on hand stuff. Like I, I don't know if there's a ton to take away from that. But I, I will be curious talking with Terry and some of the offensive line later in spring of, of technically, are we shifting back to some of the stuff we saw under Cristobal or is it a combination of both or kind of what's Terry's approach? Because I think that's something that that is that is somewhat notable. And then on, on the Stein part, it didn't feel drastically different because essentially they're just getting warmed up. So eventually they break into long toss. But I did think it was not notable that, uh, and again, it might be just first day. You had a true freshman in Novasad there in his first college practice, but Stein spent... I would say a lot more time teaching than what we saw from Dillingham, especially in the season um, and working on footwork. Uh, you know, and again, that could just be day one, making sure everybody's got a good feel for how he likes things done probably is that, but I just thought it, it definitely wasn't identical to what we saw under Dillingham um, in the first period. And then the second period was, was they went and broke off into the stumble bum drill and, and took part in some of that. So, um, but yeah, but I, I think in general, we saw some small deviations, but for the most part, as Matt said, I think a lot of it was similar, probably some things that they've, uh, taken and recalibrated over the off season, obviously, and uh, and and yeah, and I know Gan said after practice this was a really good day one. He also said that he's never been somewhere where day one wasn't always good. So true. He also said that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's day one. I, I mean, like we've all said, there wasn't a lot to watch. We took in as much as we could during the time periods that we did watch. Um, as I said, the special teams drills were basically like a hundred percent the same. Um, I will say, like, I guess specifically from those special teams drills, I know I got into the to, to punting, which was, I think, probably the biggest storyline. Um, but there were guys returning those punts. I think that's an important little little thing to put in there. Uh, Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson, uh, Cole Martin, and Chris Hudson were guys back there returning punts. Uh, so Troy Franklin, uh, towards the end of last season, was beginning to return punts. Mm -hmm. That punt returner role kind of flip-flopped. Josh Delgado was back there. Chris Hudson was back there. Troy Franklin was back there. Um, 
it all kind of switched around towards the end of last season. I think, you know, Oregon was trying to find an answer there and we'll see where Franklin lies and towards like the regular season where mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll have him back there out there, or excuse me, back there returning punts just because he's too valuable of an asset to be a punt returner, especially if he gets hurt on that, then you lose your number one receiver. So we'll see who it might be. I thought it was interesting that Cole Martin was back there. Um, you know, true cornerback, but you know, one of the few defensive players. Uh, last year, they didn't have the only, the only defensive player was Christian Gonzalez, who ever fielded a punt during practice. And I think uh, Darren Barkins in the spring. He was kickoff returns. Was a kickoff? I just knew he was doing. Yeah. He was back a little bit. Yeah, he was kickoff returns, and uh, Gonzalez, like at one point, fielded punts, and it was like, okay, I know you're never going to use him because again, the too valuable trade, but. Uh, and as for kickoff returns, they just used the kick the kick machine. Um, Grant Meters and Camden Lewis were off practicing kick coverage returns with uh, like the, the the middle the middle portion of the the kick return unit. So guys like Patrick Herbert and um, Jake Shipley, just the blockers, Mace Funa, guys like that. Kenyon Sadiq was out there with some of those groups as well. Um, but the kick returners off the machine were all fret, were all running back. So it was uh, Noah Whittington, Jordan James, Bucky Irving. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, Dante Dowdell, I think, was out there. And then maybe Jaden Lamar off the top of my head, um, which makes sense because that's what Oregon did for, for the meantime last year towards the end of the season, especially in the Holiday Bowl. But that was a, a special teams for you. Um, some good energy from the coaching staff, uh, making sure everybody is consistent on uh, each single rep. Um, but yeah, no, uh, no Carson battles anymore, which I thought was strange, but, um, it's just well, Forsyth, which him. was strange. I was going to say yeah. that was one of the things that was strange. Some of these mainstays like Forsyth and walk and McCormick guys who've just been here for like McCormick <laughs> basically predates Jared's time at the university. So like <laughs> we, we, were, we enrolled in the same year. Yeah, so the fact that, and now Jared's a couple of years removed from graduation, that kind of speaks to, these guys were here for a really long time. So that was one of the things I picked up on too, guys, was just kind of weird not seeing Alex Forsyth or, or Ryan Walk or some of these offensive linemen or, like I said, Cam McCormick and some guys on defense who've just been here forever. Just first day of spring, you're always kind of like, ah, some guys are gone that we've seen a lot of, and, and that's just kind of kind of weird. And But ultimately, team will be better probably going forward, uh, you know, not not because they're poor players, but the team will be better for just kind of developing guys without them. Still got Dorless. That's true. Dorless is still here. Um, Let's take a quick break and we come back. We've got some position change talk. We've got some number change. um, And we'll also dive into just some things that we thought stood out that maybe we didn't divulge uh, in any of the content we put up on duckterritory.com yesterday. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! 
and I do not see surrender is far from over. We will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Um, there was definitely some discussion uh, towards the tail end, speaking with Dan, um, just about maybe some position versatility and some position changes. And Jamal Hill's name was brought up about possibly moving from nickel safety hybrid type role that he's he's played the last couple of seasons under two different coaching staffs um, to a linebacker role with, with Oregon. Um, The quote that Dan says is I think position versatility for all our guys. I think everybody here knows what we want to try guys in multiple positions. If we can get, be our best team with Jamal at linebacker, we're going to work Jamal in at that position. Um, He's not going to give away trade secrets as he put it, if they're going to truly do this or not. But I think it's, an interesting concept. Um, it's a position that doesn't have a lot of depth. Uh, Jamal Hill is a physical player, um, and it could maybe allow some of your best players on defense to get all on the field at the same time. Yeah, I'd like to see it in practice before really assessing if it works. Um, and sure. of course, I'm sure that's exactly what the coaching staff is doing right now by having him spend a little time there just to see if it works. Um, I will say, like, some of the traits make sense if you're going to mm-hmm. compare him to a Jeffrey Bossa. Like, physically, they're they're not too far off. And I thought both Bossa, we should mention, and uh, Hill, I think, probably added some some weight. I, again, we don't have roster updates uh, from a weight perspective. We won't get that maybe in spring. Maybe we'll get it in fall. I have no idea. Maybe we'll get it game one. I don't know. They've been kind of weird about weight heights and weights. And it, it is one of the things that I know the, the coaching staff is always kind of like, I don't know why the fans care so much but we do and and we'd like to know who's added weight but i digress on that one but no i think um you know there's a couple this could be a really positive thing if it works out if you just kind of think about it from a couple different angles because what is the issue they had last year at safety some of the issues they had was a lack of speed and i don't want to say that was all jamal hill but i think at times he maybe was a step slow getting to places well you put him in a different position um where you know, he's not having to cover as much ground and maybe that's not as much of an issue. Um, he's always been a fairly shorter tackler. Um, again, built similar to, to Jeffrey Vasa. Again, I think last year he was listed at maybe 5'11", about 210 pounds, somewhere like that, maybe six he, feet. I just looked it up. It was a six, one, two, eleven. Okay, yeah. So I knew it was about 210 pounds. That's pretty similar to what Vasa weighed. Those, physically, those two are, are comparable. Would you like to know what Vasa I think Vasa was 212 last year. Yeah, 6'2", 212. Yeah, so they're pretty similar in size. Um, so... You know, it makes sense. And again, and then the other part here is I mentioned how maybe he was, you know, having issues at the back end at safety. Well, uh, you know, by removing him and and theoretically moving him to linebacker, that would allow some of that safety stuff to kind of play itself out. Because we've talked about kind of there's only too many uh, cooks in the kitchen there. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe you move Hill to linebacker and that allows Addison to step up. That allows Evan Williams to step up. That allows Steve Stevens to step up. Maybe some other guys. That are some of the younger developmental players. So we, so I think there could be a real positive here. But of course, as Dan said, like I don't think anything is set in stone. And and uh, you know, I'm sure they'll get through spring and and make a decision. Just because, like a year ago, like think about where Tricres Bridges was playing, and you know, like he was playing mm-hmm. safety. Jared was all on the Bridges Addison safety train. 
ended up he was playing a, a different spot. I think it. I don't argue. I, I think there was something there. We'll make, probably never going to get to see it. But no, this is the time of year to, to experiment. Um, another player he mentioned that was that was doing a little bit of, of that, but this was Sir Mel's, who we should note. There was a photo that surfaced a couple weeks ago of him in a white offensive line uh, uniform. He was on defense, uh, at least on Thursday. Uh, and, and, and again, Landon was asked about Mel's, and he said, <laughs> we're going to work guys in multiple positions. That was the end of that quote. So not a whole lot more to go off of, but this is the time of year to be doing that stuff. And, and uh, you know, it makes, I think Jamal Hill thing, we hadn't thought of that possibility. Could work. We'll see. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what it looks like on the field, like you said. I, yeah, Jamal is a very similar physique to Jeffrey Bossa. You know, we went through the numbers just a, just a bit ago. And like you said, Eric, both he and Bossa came into camp, at least like visually, like very obvious, like they added weight. And for Hill, I was kind of surprised about that. And I remember I was, I said, I think I just said to myself, like, wow, he looks huge this year. And maybe that's because of his, maybe he's transitioning to linebacker. Um, I don't know where he plays for linebacker, meaning like, is he lining up with Bossa? Is he lining up next to Jacobs? Right. Because Jacobs is the bigger of the, of the three guys by far. 30 and, pounds, 30 pounds bigger. Yeah. Yeah. He was. I, th- I think it was like 6'2", 240 at Iowa. So it would make a whole lot of sense. Um, but we don't know what, what Hill and Boss away now. But you still have Harrison Taggart, who looked good. You still have Devin Jackson, who still has probably like the best linebacker frame on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably a little bit biased for me because I like the way he plays. But um, it adds another name to the room, which I think is a good thing. Like like, like Matt said, that's the depth at linebacker is not great as of now um and we're still not a hundred percent sure what justin is capable of now although it won't matter because the hope is that he's fully healthy by the season or at least by fall camp because that's when it really matters and how they play um but i think the best thing about this move if it is if it is a full move which we'll never really get until i don't know probably fall camp we'll know um, by fall we'll know by fall but is what Eric said is that kind of clears up the safety room just a little bit more. There's still probably too many chefs in the kitchen, but you know, with Tysheem Johnson and Evan Williams coming in, that's a good start. You still have Steve Stevens, you still have Brian Addison, you have the potential development of Trajan Williams. Um, you have other guys who could step up into that role because safety is a relatively easy position to transition to. Um, there are a bunch of cornerbacks who are sitting there in that room who might not see the light of day who might need to make a transition over there to safety. But um, I think the depth there is going to be just fine. I think it helps with, with if Hill does move over, I think that really helps that position group out. Um, and for linebacker, I mean, with how poor the linebacker play was last season, I'm down to try whatever. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who, I, shoot, doesn't matter. But Tatum Tuioti, who I really thought looked more physically impressive as a linebacker than an outside linebacker, was a guy I was like, hmm, I wonder where he's going to play. Um, but he's going to be outside linebacker for sure, especially a guy at his height. But this, uh, sorry, this just dawned on me. T- Tatum physically resembles Jackson LeDuc a little bit. When you said inside linebacker, I thought of it. Very frame, similar. Frame yeah. and the hair color and complexion. There are some similarities yeah. there. Very similar. Although the, you know, the, the issue with Jackson was that he wasn't quick enough to move around the perimeter. So, again, Oregon I, last I year. Thought... Go ahead. I was just going to say last year they had a lot of guys who could stop the run, which is great. But you also need other guys who can 
you know, drop back into coverage, which is how literally everything in football is nowadays. Even, even the Big Ten, even shoot, those guys are throwing the football some. So, uh, if Bossa, or excuse me, if Jamal Hill can transition the linebacker and stop the run and cover, great. That's a really, really positive plus for Oregon. But we still have plenty of time to figure that out. Just to go back to the Tatum comparison, I I thought he reminded me a lot just from a physical standpoint of uh, Trevor Maai. Early or earlier, Trevin. Like yes, a couple years ago before he got like two eighty. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, that. when he first showed when he first showed up, like yeah. very similar body, long but like they've got good size and very athletic. I I don't know if it's because he's a Eugene kid that has been in Eugene for all of one year. Um, yeah, or what? But I just think I mean I keep going back to what Huffman said that if he had a different last name. Mm-hmm. the excitement around him would be a lot uh, bigger um, just because, you know, people just look at him thinking, oh, well, he's on the team because his dad and Huffman continues to praise him. And I, I just think they, they they may have got something. You know, it's, look, it's one practice. We saw 18 minutes. We didn't – I didn't watch <laughs> we, all 18 minutes of, of Tatum. How, yeah, how much did you actually even watch him do stuff? Probably a yeah. total of two minutes. Right. But he Maybe, just yeah. looks the part. And sometimes those guys show up and they just – click but i don't know we'll see we'll see if that is but um dan, eric i think you asked dan um how you operate with quarterbacks mm-hmm. and then in particular with Bo, because we talked about this too on wednesday like what what do you do with Bo? because it's it's coming off an injury uh there's a new quarterback but he's also kind of established as the starter like how do you handle his reps because you don't want to overwork him you don't want to get him hurt but he also needs to get himself ready. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's really interesting because you know we've seen different staffs have very different approaches. Like I remember, remember how few snaps CJ Verdell took. I think it was like yes. maybe it was his final spring, but it was like is he even really practicing? You know, yeah. well, I think it was I think it was notable that Dan said, you know, it, it is a tough balance. Um, they want to be conscientious and, and work with the medical staff to protect him, but I think as he said a couple of times, like you don't get better at football by not playing football. I think that's pretty close to an exact quote. Um, and for Bo, he's a competitive guy and he wants to be out there taking part. And again, we watched 18 minutes of practice for the quarterbacks. It was basically warm up and then stumble bum where they're just protecting the football while other players try to whack at it. That's like the equivalent of what they did for the time we watched. So I can't really say like, oh, it looked like Bo was a full participant or oh, Bo didn't. Like I really don't have a great feel. But Dan made it clear they're going to be very careful with reps, but I also get a sense from what Dan said that they want to make sure that he gets a full spring where it feels like he has an opportunity to get better because even though he's a fifth-year quarterback, like there's opportunity to improve. And I, obviously that's going to be a focal point with a new position coach. So, yeah, I did think that part was notable. Um, I also thought it was kind of notable, some of the things he had to say about Novasad, um, just about kind of like liking some of the early impressions, but – also noting that he needs to do a better job with with ball placement. Um, Dan didn't say it, but I, I did hear from from somebody that there were a, quite a few interceptions thrown in practice. Based upon Dan's quote, kind of makes maybe makes you wonder if the true freshman had a couple of those welcome to college moments day one, which are yeah. very much understanding understandable. But yeah, no, it was interesting seeing him because you want to talk about just the difference between Novasad and, and this is one of the things I thought really stood out in Ty Thompson. I know they're three years apart, but physically these are different. <laughs> just very different. I mean, Ty Thompson physically, he looks like he could be playing outside linebacker for Oregon. Truly like he's like 
just a very, very well put together kid. Whereas Austin Ovisad, you can tell he needs some time in the weight room. And you watch Austin throw the football, super quick release. I think it looks like he's got a lot of zip on it. You watch Ty throw a football, it's just a cannon of an arm. And it's one of my favorite things, because again, we're kind of limiting what we do in practice, is just watching Ty Thompson throw, you know, throw throw the the ball deep, uh, you know, in long toss, because the guy can absolutely fling it. And like, I think I've said it before, like flat foot, he can throw it like 60 yards. So he's um, got a howitzer, man. They're, they are very different, and I will be very curious to see. Um, I know we're now we're getting a, a year ahead, but when this does become a Thompson, Novasad, QBX, QBY, whoever else is with them, it'll be very interesting to see how that develops because you look at them and think physically they're very different, but you kind of wonder how an offense might change depending upon which one of them is a quarterback. Again, I'm probably way too down the line this first day of practice, but these are the kind of things I was, yeah. I was taking in, watching it, thinking about the bigger picture at quarterback because – we know the situation for starter this year, so that takes out that element. We know it's going to be Bo, but what we don't know is what's going on behind him. And just comparing the two, there's there's a, a way more things that are contrasting than that are comparable between them, is what I would say. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't get to watch any of the quarterbacks. Uh, I will say that Austin Novoset is wearing number 16 this year, so buy your Austin mm. Novoset jerseys now. And physique, physically, um, he just reminds me a lot of what Jay Butterfield came as a true freshman. Like the same uh, dudes. Yeah. Shorter, like six, six. Shorter, but, but the, yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know what Novasat is. He's probably what, like six four, six five. I think he was listed yeah. at six three coming in uh, at a high school. Oh, okay. I'm going to pull that short, out. I don't short think boy. I thought he was six four. Um, yeah, shorter than Jay, but you know, probably 198, 210 pounds, soaking wet. Um, just guys who need to have some weight room experience, and uh, until they get that, until they get on a on a meal plan. Um, yeah, it's just going to be hard for them to jump into a game and, and be physical, re- physically ready for college football. Um, yeah, if he did throw some interceptions, it is what it is. Like, you know, first day of spring, yeah. first time against defense or a, like a real collegiate defense. Uh, I'm sure that was a, probably a mildly scary experience because, uh, you know, the speed of the game is so much different from high school to college. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, way, 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 way too early overreactions for all of these things. So, uh, and I warned, I warned the podcast listeners on Wednesday to expect something like this for all of our uh, giddiness from post-spring practice. Well, so I, don't, I I'm, push back a little bit because I don't think I'm overreacting. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for what no, I see. I, I'm not saying you're overreacting. I'm just like saying um, I just couldn't find a better word other than to use overreactions. But uh, maybe maybe just reactions, just just giddy reactions coming from the first fall uh, or first spring camp day here. So. Uh, anything else that you guys have um, from your notebooks that well didn't make a story that needs oh yeah. to? I think there's quite a few things. Um, and unfortunately, the thing I'd like to talk about is the thing that wasn't during the periods we were supposed to be watching. So we, we saw some stuff that we can't talk about, which kind of stinks because I think it's really potentially interesting. But um, some of the offensive line stuff we saw was kind of interesting during the period after. But we can't talk about that because that's not in a period we're supposed to be watching, and I don't want to get in trouble. But um, we will be—I will be patiently awaiting the next, the first time I should say that we get to officially watch them line up as an offensive line unit and seeing if the group that was out there with the first group is what we see next. Because if it is, it would surprise a lot of people. So I think that was that was kind of the thing. As I'm walking, and you know, Zach Neal uh, and I kind of saw it take place out of the corner of her eye and are writing down the numbers kind of going like that is if that's what this is if that's how they're going to do this 
Ali Kateri is either a mad scientist because this doesn't compute with what I expected, or uh, or this is just again day one overreactions and they're just messing around. Not everybody's healthy and and and, th and people are in different spots. But again, I know that's a little bit of a tease because I'm not telling you all of it. But I just wanted to kind of maybe maybe it is a good thing to tease because the next time it they go through uh, you know uh, they, that we can officially talk about it. Maybe it'll be something that is kind of worth piquing your interest early on about. Yeah, we. Uh, you know, I was going to say we can't talk about that, but what we can talk about is all my weird notebook things that I had written down. Uh, for all those wondering, Will Stein is a hat guy. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, wore a hat the first day of practice, so we're going to have to mark that down in the books. Uh, Lee Terry, non-hat guy, just a straight straight hair dude. So I thought that was interesting. Um, it was pretty sunny, but it was also frigid. Like Matt said, to open the podcast felt like a cold November morning in the middle of March. So I was okay with that. Uh, uh, Jared, numbers. Jared what, what, Jared, what was Chris Hampton? Was that, was that a hat? Was he a beanie guy? I couldn't tell. I didn't you know. See I there. honestly did not see Hampton. Okay. Did just never saw him. So okay. I don't know. Right. I'll, I'll keep I'll have my eyes open on Saturday. Fair enough. Um, uh, Hampton. I can't remember if Hampton was wearing a beanie or not, but he is a glasses guy. Ooh, oh, yeah, big glasses. He, had, su yeah, he sure. had sunglasses on. Oh, okay. Well, it was bright. He, you couldn't see, couldn't see like a good chunk of his face. That's okay. That's why glass sunglasses are there for. Um, I just wanted to go through a couple numbers real quick. Uh, just some ones that kind of stuck out to me. Jordan Birch will be wearing one. Justin Jacobs at four. Trayshawn Holden, five. Uh, Kyrie Jackson at 15. Tez Johnson at 15 as well. Um, just guys who I think could get in to the game. Luke Dunn at number 45. Uh, Johnny Cornelius, 65. Uh, and then from guys previously on the team who are now changing their numbers, got a couple of them. Jeffrey Basta is now wearing number two, mm, which, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stay quiet. Uh, Jamal Hill is changing from 19 to number nine, so getting rid of an, a one there. I like that. And then our dear friend Luke Basso going from 57 to 43. Uh, I thought that was really, really important because I didn't recognize Luke without the number 57. So when he started to to line up for long snaps, I just didn't recognize him. So now we will. We'll recognize everybody on this official roster by Saturday. I expect both of you guys to have it fully memorized. Um, <laughs> there will be a test. Um, I thought it was interesting. This is probably going to be my last uh, random thing from the day. I did think it was interesting that Dan post-practice shouted out Josh Carnley Jr. for being one of the guys yes. who was a leader. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that was a, a big thing to, to hear. Uh, usually what Dan says around this time doesn't have a lot like behind it. It's kind of just coach speak. Uh, I thought the Jamal Hill thing was another big interesting one, but I thought the, the Connerly one was one where he genuinely shouted out a guy. And usually when you ask Dan, it's like, hey, who's who's stepping up? Who's a guy who you know, has really performed well? He's like, oh, well, everybody has. It's a very prototypical coach answer, and sometimes he'll give specifics. But And I always think it's important to memorize who those specific people are. So Connerly gets a shout-out for being a leader, being a, a vocal guy, being someone who uh, puts all of his energy into stretching or whatever Dan said. Um and so I thought that was an interesting thing to take away from today. And overall, I thought Connerly looked good on the offensive line. Um, and physically, I thought he was you know, imposing and one of the bigger bodies on that front. So uh, I think that's it from my from my notebook. I don't know if I have anything else. Um, to add on to that, 
uh, Dan did uh, single out Josh, but he also mentioned three other veteran guys that I just thought were notable in terms of he was asked specifically about leaders because he said some players were developing that in his opening. Um, he also mentioned Jamal Hill, Jeff Bossa, and Bo Nix as, as three older players who who kind of taken development or he's seen quality leadership traits from. So I, I agree with Jared. I, I don't want to take a ton away from it, but I will certainly kind of pack that away and, and remember, okay, these are the guys that day one of spring Dan is, is kind of saying, these are some of the people we think are going to be team leaders. And I, right. I, I, I agree with your general sentiment that maybe it's just coach speak, but I also think from a, uh, from a kind of pulling certain levers perspective, Dan is, is I think very clearly trying to identify who he wants leaders to be. And, and, and it's probably, I'm sure he's had conversations behind closed doors, but to publicly point those guys out, I don't think that was unintentional either. Yeah. And Dan's, really media savvy. He knows what he's saying up there. And I just think it was important that he that he threw out the Josh Connerly mention because I think that's like the first time he's really mm-hmm. given him any kind of love in a media session other than just saying like, oh yeah, he's here or he's not hurt or he's like practicing and because he was a true freshman last season. And I don't know, Dan isn't Dan doesn't talk too often about true freshmen other than to say, you know, if you're good enough, you're old enough, even though that was very rarely the case last season. But right. now that Josh Connolly has moved up to a sophomore, maybe he'll have more opportunities for Dan to shout him out and it began on day one. So I was happy to hear it. Uh, that certainly piqued my interest. Um, but, you know, like I said earlier, I think I think that's it. I'm just going through the roster and I got nothing else. Uh, it was very strange seeing uh, – Cavana, uh, Oregon's Kavanaugh? analyst. Kavanaugh, yeah. Sorry. Um, Oregon's analyst or assistant assistant coach for the offensive line be wearing an Oregon mm-hmm. uniform uh, team-issued gear. Longtime Mike Riley assistant coach at Nebraska and before that at Oregon State. Um, Dan did single him out as one of the couple – uh, analysts that they did hire this past offseason to replace some guys. And and I thought it was a really – I think this is why um, I'm really impressed with Dan and just, like, the forward thinking that he has despite being such a young coach. Is he was asked about, like, hey, you, you've got three new analysts. Um, you've got Kavana – or can <sighs> – I cannot say this name. I, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. I do not know why. Kavanaugh. I cannot say it. Um, Brian Makalowski and Antonio Parks. Um, he was asked about all three of those guys because they replaced some analysts that left. And people would, you know, there's there's people that would think, oh, well, you know, these guys, why'd they have to leave Oregon? Yada, yada, yada. And he said, when you have turnover from an analyst standpoint and you guys move on from, for full-time positions. That's something I get really excited for. You want to be at a place where we're not reaching just my goals and aspirations. We're reaching everybody and the organization's goals and aspirations. And that was a very, very smart comment. Um, And I, I think that often gets lost in translation with a lot of sports, a lot of organizations, what have you. And, he singled out the, you know, the three guys that they brought in as, you know, they're all talented. He has, you know, he's really high uh, on, on Brian because this is like their fourth stop together. Um, he mentioned Antonio Parks is someone that Will Stein raved about and is, 
Dan called him an up and coming guy. Um, but that was, those three guys are going to bring experience to, to groups. Um, especially the offensive line where we talked about, you know, elite Terry's young, but, um, he also either they're going to try and maybe add more analysts too, but I just thought that was a really interesting comment from Dan and one that, you know, you don't often hear about is everyone wants to see the head coach succeed, but he wants truly like the entire staff to succeed as well. And that means getting jobs. Yeah. I think they're all extensions of him to a certain degree, right? Like you can, you can add them all as part of his early coaching tree to a certain degree. And I know that one year, two years doesn't equate to that, but the longer he spends time as a head coach, the more he's going to develop that. And I think he's understanding of a, some sort of legacy he might be leaving, but more than that, just the development and, and kind of how, what kind of a relationship he fosters here and how that could benefit both himself and the program. Because the more guys you talked about this many times, it's a good thing when people come for your coaches that, cause that means that they're good at mm-hmm. what they do. And the more people that, that leave, I know it, it leaves holes and it's frustrating for fans because they, they like seeing some level of continuity, but that just sort of adds to what can what what you can accomplish here. Of if you if you're a, a you know a bright offensive mind like a Kenny Dillingham, hey, you can you can come here and become a head coach really quickly. If you're an analyst like some of the guys that took off last year and, and received full time position coaching jobs, uh, more analysts are going to come in saying, hey, I got an opportunity to maybe get a full time coaching job sooner than later. So yeah, I know that all, all, all of this is kind of layered and, and, and works together for, for the program. And yeah, as Dan, I think eloquently and probably more eloquently than I can say, uh, you know, you want to root for your guys to succeed. And when they do, that's a really good thing for everybody involved. Yeah, no, I, I Dan has kind of expressed that sentiment before where he wants everybody to move on. And, you know, like Eric touched on it, annoys the fan base when guys, uh, up and leave after one year, but everybody else would do that too. Yeah. It's, you know, they got a better job. They are going to get a pay raise. They're going to go do exactly what they want to do. Uh, you know, it'd, it'd be hard for us to find anybody who would turn that type of position down. And yeah, you know, that, that will happen this off season after, after the 2023 season, I guarantee it. Um, I think ultimately you're just, you're looking forward to Dan not leaving and continuing to hire these guys who continue to be poached by, uh, other teams to be head coaches, offensive line coaches, defensive coordinators, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I think I, I thought it was nice that Dan said that. I, that's kind of what I expected him to say, uh, just because that's what he's what he's done in, in, in press conferences in, in months past. But uh, they had to hear it again. It was nice. It was good to talk to Dan again for the first time. But um, one more thing um, before we end the pod. You know, happy St. Patrick's Day to all that celebrate. Also, happy March Madness to all that celebrate. Mm. Unfortunately, Oregon's not celebrating unless we want to count the NIT in March Madness, which I'm not in favor of. No, no. <laughs> it, it did seem like Oregon fans were celebrating a certain uh, upset, though. Princeton over Arizona seemed to, to be something Oregon fans yeah. were pretty happy about yesterday. Michigan State. And- which they should not be happy about. Like, I understand you don't like Arizona's fan base, but that hurts the league drastically. Mm hmm. Do we care? About, do we care about leagues anymore, though? I mean, are we even is Oregon in the same league as we Arizona should. in two years? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of being facetious. But I, 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 I have for small tangent. We can wrap, and maybe it's not even worth having. It's just weird how this last year has. I've always been in that same boat of Matt of like, you want the conference to do really well. At this point, I don't know if it really matters for Oregon because I don't know if this conference is going to be around very long, and if it's not, like. 
okay. Like it's probably good in the short term that Arizona doesn't get upset in the opening round into a 15 seed, but probably also doesn't really matter too much in the long term either. Yeah, but it's March. It is March. I want that upset. Who do you think Nebraska's fans are rooting for uh, in this Michigan State USC game? Those are Does Nebraska two... even care about basketball? Like, <laughs> well, I, those are two future Big Ten members, so I just thought I'd ask. I think Nebraska's fans are busy tending to the farms and getting ready for football season. I mean, do they care about basketball? But I guess to answer your question, probably they don't care. They probably don't like either one. Yeah, I don't know. Scopel? No. All right. I don't. I don't. Really, I don't. I don't really care that much either. I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I know what people in the middle of the country, in Nebraska, are are thinking about two schools. I would imagine they would probably have more connection to Michigan State than than USC based upon the conference they're in now. But I, I mean, they don't really have any ties to USC aside from a faint football rivalry from decades past. We're gonna we're gonna get a lot of hate from our Nebraska listeners. That's for sure. <laughs> Do we have if any there, of those? If there, I mean, if there are a Cornhusker Oregon fan, I think there can be kind of understanding of the, the reasons why we're not totally dialed into what their opinions are on a, on a, on a March Madness game. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Yachts and Audible podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back Monday with a mailbag. And until then, you've been listening to the Yachts and Audible podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the Winter Transfer Window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more, Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third.